The first message in our series was about the Gospel itself. Jesus Christ and Him crucified. The person and work of Christ is what saves us. What draws us together. What provides our very purpose and existence as a church. The second message about a month ago was about something we've done every week together for the last 125 years. We've sung together. We sing the Gospel. We, we don't just say it, we sing it to God in thanksgiving and to each other to remind ourselves of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. In today's message, I want to talk about sharing that Gospel. Sharing the Gospel. Not just savoring it and, bu- and building our lives on it, but, and not just singing about it, but actually sharing the Gospel with other people. Lost people. Our church has a long and rich history of evangelism. I like to point out that it's in our middle name, right? It's, it's our middle name. Lance Evangelical Free Church. Can you spell evangelical? I know Marilyn probably can because she probably has to type it quite a bit. It's a tongue twister for folks. Someone asks you, what church do you go to? And you say, Lance Free Church. Right? What do you leave out of the name? That, that E word, right? I often say, uh, the one with the playground. That's the one that I go to. I love it when people call us on the phone here and they don't know the E word. Hello, is this the Lance Evangelical? Uh, um, is this the free church? Yes, it is. Evangelical originally means gospel-oriented or gospel Centered. It means that we believe in and we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. It comes from the word evangel, which is the Greek word for good news in the New Testament. Whenever you run across the word gospel in your New Testament or good news together, almost all every time behind that is hiding the Greek word evangel. So gospel is our middle name, or at least it should be. And historically it has been. It's in our purpose statement, right? Can you see our, our church's purpose statement? Lance Evangelical Free Church exists to glorify God by bringing people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ through worship, sing, instruction, fellowship, evangelism, and service. We care about lost people and we strive to share the gospel with them. Amen? Let me show you a little bit about how this has played out in our past. Anybody Remember these? In the 1970s, this little fleet, a lot of hands went up. A lot, in the 1970s, this little fleet of blue buses went up and down these hills and hollers, picking up folks, especially children, to bring them here to hear the gospel. I guess there were some yellow ones in there too. Anybody rode one of those? How many drove one of those? Yeah, about as many as, yeah. Now that was before my time, but I love that this church had them. Here's one that was during my time. Anybody remember this guy? This was the mascot for Wild West Day, July 28, 2001. And and, uh, here was the hats that we bought for that occasion. I'm going to wear this for the rest of the sermon to see if you can take me seriously. Just kidding. I know you can't take me seriously. Uh, This was a refrigerator magnet 
It was made by the kids. Anybody have one of these at home? Made, yep. Made by the kids in our children's ministry. Go in our fridges. It says, I will pray for Wild West Day. I will ask God to do things I could never do. I will ask God to do miracles. The Lord gave us over 1,200 people to visit our little campus that day. And hear the Gospel. Not just come and see Lou Starrett. Uh, not just come and see Lou Starrett uh, preach on, on uh, his Sermon on the Mount. Uh, not just to come play in the bounce house. Uh, not just to eat, I don't know, 1,500 hot dogs or whatever we served that day, or 2,000 hot dogs or whatever it was. But to hear the Gospel. Nobody came on our campus that day and left without hearing the Evangel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's not just about getting people onto our campus. Uh, anybody remember this one? Recognize that? Yep, the Jesus video. Um, in 2002, we, we partnered uh, heavily, participated heavily in the Jesus video project. We were part of a coalition of churches that mailed a VHS copy of the Jesus video to every single home in our county. Over 30,000 videos went out in the mail. Wally and I went up and down the hills and hollers visiting churches, talking to people, getting them on board with this. Our church sent a lot of money, and then we did the follow-up when, whenever a call came in of somebody that had watched it and wanted to know more about Jesus. Now this is an artifact, okay? I'm going to ask Lita if she's willing to put this in the display case out there in the foyer with the old songbooks and the old communion ware. People will be like, a VHS tape? What? What is that? You know? Nowadays, you can just stream it over your phone. But back then, this was a major undertaking to get it into everybody's hands. And we, as a church, threw ourselves into that. Why? Because we love lost people. And we wanted them to have what we have. And what we have. The Gospel of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. When we built the Ark Park out there, we called it an evangelistic playground. Do you remember who named the Ark Park? It was you and your sister, right? You guys came up with that name, Ark Park. We called it the evangelistic playground. Before we had a cool name like Ark Park, we called it the evangelistic playground. Because we didn't just build it for us. This isn't for our kids out there, not, not primarily. We built it for our community. Because we loved them and because we wanted a place where folks would come and we could talk to them about Jesus. It's a gospel playground. So you get the picture of what I'm selling here? I love how this church has historically thrown itself into evangelism. We're not just focused in on ourselves, on our worship, on our fellowship, on our own stuff. Our church has always had a heart for lost people and a commitment to do whatever it takes to reach them. And in that, this church has reflected the very heart of God. Luke chapter 15 is about the heart of God. It's about what God cares about. How strongly God cares about the lost. Luke 15 is one of the most familiar and famous passages in the whole Bible because it contains three of Jesus' most famous parables. I wish I had time to give you all three, but we're only going to look at the first two this morning. 
The third one is the one you know the best. So you could just read it this afternoon and remind yourself what's in it. All three stories are very similar and they are all trying to make the same point. There's a pattern to them. Something becomes lost. Someone conducts a desperate search for the lost item. And when it's found, there's a party. There's a celebration. So we're going to call this sermon Lost and Found. Not kind of like the box out in the back, but more in the sense of a desperate search. Something becomes lost. Someone searches. There's a celebration. And all of this is to show how the Lord cares about the lost. Let's read the first ten verses of Luke 15 together. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. Talk about Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I've found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for Lance Free Church for 125 years of a history of doing this very thing, of sharing the gospel with those who need it. Thank you that the gospel reached us. Help us, Lord, to keep our focus on reaching others with it. We pray this in the name of Jesus and Him crucified. The lost sheep, the lost coin, and if you read on this afternoon, the lost son. Awesome parables from the Lord Jesus Christ. The biggest mistake that people make when they're interpreting these parables is to miss verses 1 and 2. We we go right to the story, but we miss the setting. Verses 1 and 2 tell us who was present when Jesus told these stories, and it's easy to overlook them. I've skimmed past them many times on my way to the good stuff, to the, to the stories. But verses 1 and 2 tell us not just who was present when Jesus told these stories, but they tell us why Jesus told these parables, which is really helpful for understanding them. Verses 1 and 2 set the stage for the whole chapter. Let's look at them closely again. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So there's two groups present, right? Two groups of people. In the eyes of the culture of that day, there were the bad people and there were the good people, right? The the, the black hats and the white hats. You see that? Who were the black hats? Tax collectors and the sinners. These are the bad guys. 
The, the tax collectors were basically the legalized thieves of the Roman world. They were turncoat Jews who were empowered by the Romans to not only take the legal taxes for the government, but to take as much as they could get away with from every taxpayer they found. This was not the IRS. This was like the mob being deputized by the IRS to collect your taxes and look the other way while they take the rest of your money. Nobody liked tax collectors. They were despised, and you can see, with good reason. And the rest of the black hats here are just called the sinners. How'd you like that to be your title as you walk through life? There go the sinners. These folks were notorious for not following the law, either Jewish law or Roman law. They were unclean, they were rebellious, they were outsiders, they were considered scum. But catch this, they were the ones attracted to Jesus. They were all, verse 1, gathering around to hear him. And more than that, Jesus was attracted to them. He ate with them. He had table fellowship with them. Jesus seems to like them. And that bothers the other group here. Who are they? They're they're the guys with the white hats. They're the Pharisees who separated themselves from everything that was unholy. They were the the teachers of the law. That's the Bible professors. These were the ones that, that taught at the Bible school. They're supposed to be the good guys. They're straight-laced guys, straight-up guys. They got their noses clean. They wear a tie on Sunday morning. They're law-abiding citizens. They're the white hats. And they are scandalized by how Jesus is acting. Look at verse 2. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. They can't even say sinners without spitting. And Jesus is eating with them? Ew, with the scum of the earth. Now remember that as you read the stories, right? Remember who's listening as Jesus tells these stories. The first story is the story of the lost sheep. Look at it again, verse 3. Then Jesus told him this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I found my lost sheep. Just stop there for a second. Let's look at the pattern, right? Something becomes lost. What is it? It's a sheep. Is that valuable? To the shepherd it is, right? Valuable enough to go searching. So someone conducts a search. Who's that? The shepherd. He leaves the 99 where they should be safe in the open country and he goes to find the lost one. What a great picture, right? Can you see that shepherd hunting, hunting in, his, in your mind's eye? He's going all the places where that sheep could possibly be. He's taking a risk. He's sacrificing. He's searching to rescue that sheep. And then he finds it. And still alive. And he, verse 5, joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. I love that detail, that it's on his, on his shoulders. He carries it home. A happy shepherd, a found sheep on his shoulders. What's next? What happened? What's in the pattern? What happens? Parte, right? Right? Verse 6. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and he says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Let's have a party. Let's celebrate. And then Jesus gives us the point, verse 7. 
I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Now remember who Jesus is talking to. Who is the shepherd like? The Lord, right? It's like the Lord. There will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, one lost sheep, than over 99 unlost sheep, so-called righteous persons who do not need to repent. Who's he talking about there? Who are the sinner sheep? They're the bad guys who are attracted to Jesus. They're the lost. And there'll be a party in heaven if a bad guy repents. If a black hat guy turns himself in, there's a celebration. More rejoicing than if a so-called white hat guy doesn't ever go anywhere. Now Jesus doesn't mean that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law didn't really need repentance or were really righteous. That's just how they saw themselves. And there's no rejoicing in heaven over self-righteousness, even when it's cleaned up pretty good. Jesus says, so you want to know why I eat with sinners and welcome them? It's because that's the priority of heaven. That's the passion of God's heart. The Lord loves the lost. But just in case they didn't get this, Jesus tells another story. It's a very similar one. It's a story of a lost coin. Look again at verse 8. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. You see the pattern again? Something is lost. What is it? Coin. In Greek, it's a drachma. It's a day's wages. This is a picture of a drachma with Tiberius Caesar on the front of it. How many of these coins did this woman own? Ten. Right? She only owns ten, and she loses one-tenth of her wealth. Right? So someone conducts a desperate search. She, she turns the house upside down. Have you ever lost anything like that? A couple of weeks ago, Heather lost something at home, and we turned the home upside down looking for it. We were about just bewildered. Where did it go? What if it was 10% of all your possessions? I remember once one of my little nephews lost a tiny little toy he just bought with his own money at a playground. It was a playground kind of like ours out here, except it was full of little rocks, okay? And, and, and he had just bought this toy, and he hid it under some rocks for safekeeping. And then, of course, he'd forgotten where he put it. Could we have found that toy if we tried hard enough? Yeah, we could have. We would have had to turn over a lot of rocks, though. It was lost. But if we'd been desperate enough, like this woman was, if, if we really cared about that toy, we could have searched until it was found. This woman goes to great lengths to find it. And what happens when the item is found? Third item, right? Third part of the pattern. Party time. Verse 9. She calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me! I found my lost coin! And then Jesus makes sure we get the point. Verse 10. In the same way I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. I love that phrase, in the presence of the angels of God. Does that mean that the angels are rejoicing over the repentant sinner? 
about the lost coin being found? I'm sure they are. I'm sure the angels are going, hooray! But I don't think that's quite what Jesus is saying. Who's in the presence of the angels of God? This morning, uh, in our Sunday school class, we read about Gabriel, and he says, I stand in the presence of God, right? So that means that Jesus is in the presence, God is in the presence of the angels. I think this is a way around way of saying that God rejoices over one sinner who repents. There's a party in heaven over one sinner who repents. If the kingdom of God is a party, and one of the things that Jesus teaches is that the kingdom of God is a party, then the theme of that party is joy in repentant sinners. That's why Jesus welcomes them. That's that's why he sits down at the table and eats with them. Because that's the heart of God. Now you can see that the pattern is repeated again in the parable of the lost son. Or is it lost sons? Read it this afternoon and track how it's like these other two parables and how it has a few more twists that really bring it home. But we're just going to stop with these two stories today and apply them to our church and our lives. Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to put ourselves into these stories. Where are you and I in these stories? Three points of application. Number one, repent. Where are you and I in this story? Well, we all started out as something that was lost. We are the black hats in this story. We are the lost sheep. We are the lost coin. Because the Bible says that we're all sinners, even if we aren't slapped up with the label by society. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Everybody. And God in His mercy has been searching for us. He sent His own Son to seek and to save that which was lost. That's us. And if we want to be found, we need to do what verse 7 and what verse 10 says. We need to repent. To repent means to turn. To turn in our hearts with our lives away from sin and to the Savior. To turn to Jesus and put our trust in Him. Notice that sinners... And tax collectors still needed to repent. It's not enough to just be attracted to Jesus and listening to his his teaching. They had to respond to it. In our home, when each of our children, when they were young, made a first profession of faith in Jesus, we began to call them found sheep. And each one of them was given a little stuffed lamb to mark that response of their hearts to the gospel. Jesus died for lost sheep. And lost sheep are found when they repent. Are you still a lost sheep? Turn from your sin and put your trust in the Savior. Repent. It might be hard for you to identify yourself with the scum in this story. You might see yourself as a pretty good guy or a pretty good gal. That was my problem growing up. I was a good kid. And it actually kept me away from God. Every one of us is a sinner and needs a Savior. There will only be rejoicing in heaven for you if you turn. I invite you to do it right now. 
in your heart, pray to the Lord. Tell Him you need Him and that you're turning from your sin, asking for His forgiveness and trusting in Jesus' sacrifice for you. The Lord promises for all who come to Him, they will be saved. Maybe that already happened for you because of a bus ministry or a Wild West day or a Jesus video in the mail or some other ministry of this church, a Good News Cruise, a Family Bible Week, a Kids for Christ, a wild game dinner. Or maybe it was far away from here and unrelated to this church before. But if it hasn't happened yet, it's past time. Repent. That's where it starts. Number two, recover. And by this I mean join the search party for lost people. Put yourselves in the shoes of the white hats for a second. Did they care about those who were lost? No. They only cared about themselves and their good works and their clean reputations. Jesus told this story to both convict them and to change them. I wonder if Nicodemus was in this crowd and he was hearing Jesus talk about what, what kind of a heart God has. And he asked himself, do I have that same heart? God wants us to join the search party for lost people. Do we care about lost people? I mean it. Do we care about lost people? Not do we say we care about lost people, we would all agree with that, but do we actually do it? Do we do anything about it? The shepherd left the 99 and went after the lost sheep. The woman lit a lamp that cost money too, and swept the house to find her lost coin. God is recovering lost people. Are we a part of the search or are we just standing on the sidelines? Who are you helping to recover? What lost people are you praying for? What lost people are you talking to about Jesus? Let me give you three steps here. Care, prayer, and share. I know they aren't parallel, but they sure do rhyme. First, we have to care. We have to cultivate a love for those people whom God loves. This church has been really good at that for 125 years. And I'm so proud of our church family when I see it. I love to tell the story about my first summer here as your pastor. I was writing the sermons on Saturday nights. I still do that often. And there were gangs of young people out here in the parking lot on Saturday nights. It was before we had a nice paved parking lot. This was the meeting spot, I guess, on Saturday nights. I'd be, they'd be out there doing donuts in the field. I'm typing away on the sermon. They're smoking. They're talking. They're hanging out. And I told your elder board about this. It was Wally and George and Blair and Bruce and Charlie and those guys. And I told them about what was going on in our parking lot, and I asked if we needed to have the police drop in. And your elder said to me, we're glad they're here on our land. I wonder what we can do to reach out to them and tell them that Jesus loves them. I knew then that this church was a keeper. Who have you cared enough about to invite to the wild game dinner? I promise you that Zeke Pfeiffer will make the gospel clear to them. But people don't care what you know until they know that you care. Does somebody know that you care about them and are going to bring them to hear Zeke on Saturday? Our Louisiana team is down south this week serving 
in the name of Jesus Christ. Showing those folks down there that we up here care about them. Thank you for sending them. I'm proud of you for sending them. I'm proud of them for going. It shows that we care. We've got to keep the gospel as our middle name. The second step is prayer. We have to continue to pray for the lost to be found. I've got another artifact from our church history. Do you remember this one? In 2007, we filled up this fishbowl with the names of people for whom we are praying to come to know Jesus. And we fasted and prayed over those names for several months. And some of those names are names of people who are today trusting Jesus Christ as their Savior, in part because we prayed. Who are you praying for right now to get found? Who are you praying for to come to the Wild Game Dinner? Or to come to church next Sunday to hear Zeke preach here? Or to come on Resurrection Sunday and hear the Gospel? That's what our harvest prayer time is about every month. Who's on your prayer list? And the third step in recovery is to share. It's not enough to just want them to know Jesus. We have to introduce them to Jesus. It takes words. It takes the gospel. If we truly care, we will dare to share. There's another rhyme for you. Take that one home. If we truly care, we will dare to share. And the Holy Spirit will give us the power. Our friend Matt Modzel was just recently sharing a group with a group of teenagers at the FCA badminton tournament last Friday night. He didn't know that I was taking his picture. And he sure didn't know that I was going to put it up today. But I'm proud of him. Because he overcame his nervousness and got up on his hind legs and shared his testimony. And the good news about how God so loved the world. When Matt gets nervous, his face goes all red. You can look at it right there if you want. It was West Branch red, as we say. Red as the mats against the wall there. But that didn't stop him from sharing. And it doesn't have to be big. You don't have to get up in front of a great big group of people to do this. You just have to talk to people about Jesus. Because He's who they need. We need to join the search and rescue recovery team. And that requires faith and it requires boldness. We've got to dare. If you care, you will dare to share. Are we talking to the lost people about Jesus? Or are we just content to mutter? This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Do we eat with sinners? I don't want to be like the so-called white hat people in this story. If I have to choose sides, then I want to be where Jesus is, and he's with the black hats. I want to say something about our culture right now and what Christians need to be doing in it. I hear a lot of talk about the two M's, Muslims and Mexicans. Those two kinds of people are in the news a lot, Muslims and Mexicans. And I hear a lot of people being very negative about both of them against Muslims, against Mexicans. It's like they're the black hats or something. And I understand there are legitimate questions for our leaders to sort out in terms of immigration and national security. We need good people to come up with good policies and practices on those. But what I'm concerned about in speaking to you this morning is how much muttering I hear, even among Christians. I hear hate and fear and anger 
and I don't hear enough about this question, how can we reach Muslims with the gospel of Jesus Christ? If they're coming here, how can we share with them? And how can we go to them? How can we go out into the field, leaving the 99 behind and take what we have that they need? And how can we reach immigrants with or without the proper documents with the hope of salvation in Jesus Christ because they are lost without Him? Jesus cares. He desperately cares. Jesus turns the house upside down to find them. Jesus says that what God cares about the most is not our national security or our economy or jobs for Americans or even the rule of law, as important as all those things are. What God cares about the most is finding lost people. And He's going after the black hat. Are we a part of God's desperate search party? Or are we just standing around muttering? So let's get personal for a second. Who do you and I need to talk to this week? Who do we need to pray for the next seven days and then to bring up Jesus in conversation? Who is the one sheep out of the 100 in our life that's lost that we need to care about? Who is the one drachma that is lost in the house that we need to sweep for with the Lord? Let's go searching, friends. Let's go searching. That's what this church is all about. Has been for 125 years. Let's keep it that way today. Number three, rejoice. You knew that would be point number three, didn't you? It's the pattern. Let's pretend for a second that we're the friends in these stories. We're the neighbors. Who does the, we're the people that the shepherd says, rejoice with me. And the woman comes and says, rejoice with me. What does God say? There is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Rejoice. Every time a sinner comes in, we should rejoice. Every time a sinner gets baptized, we should rejoice. Every time a decision is made for Christ, we should rejoice. And we should rejoice for ourselves that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. God's own fishbowl. There's a party in heaven too. There should be one here as well. My prayer is that we as a church will see a greater harvest and have a greater party in the next few months and years than we have ever had before. If the gospel remains our middle name. Let us not lose sight of this driving value of our church to reach out to the lost with the good news of Jesus Christ.